Free advice, free advice, would you like some free advice, free advice, free advice forever? Hello. Hello. <laughs> we didn't make a plan and it shows. <laughs> Don't tell them. Confidence Why is key. Why do we have to have all the Confidence secrets from our listeners? Confidence is key. Yeah, we're con men. We're audio con men. <laughs> Or are we just conversationalists? We're going to grift these suckers for $50,000 if we don't act like we had a plan. (laughs) (laughs) But we promised the advice would always be free, not $50,000. That's how we get them. (laughs) (laughs) One day it's free, the next $50,000K. No, no, no. We make them think it was their idea to pay $50,000 for the advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the whole way to You can't even help yourself but to Venmo us $50,000. You're getting very sleepy and you, very susceptible. Do you ever get hypnotized? Uh, There's no not time like for that. that story right now. Not like that. We're jumping right into a question. <laughs> <laughs> None of that bullshit up top. You wanted to get me caught on something so that you could interrupt yes. and go, time for the question. Eh, maybe a little bit. Listen, guys, Listen, honeymoon phase is over. It's not cute anymore. We're not just fucking <laughs> rambling up top. Just, oh, well, what do you want to do? About? No, we're getting to the advice right away. Okay. And then later, yeah, you'll still get all the rambles and all that bullshit that's coming. But let's start. Let's do it. Great. Okay. Right? Let's get down to business. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was going to go completely differently, but here I am. And I'm flying by the seat of my pants and my butt is cold. You ready? Uh, Yes. Okay. So the question we have this week comes to us from the user Kruyu. I hate having a cold butt. Sorry to interrupt. I'm just thinking about that. Nice, you, better, better when they're toasty. Better uh, when those buns when are When you're toasty. sitting on a cold metal bleacher and you have a thin layer of jeans oh, yeah. and your butt hairs are like goosebumps and cold, Yeah. oh, that's so uncomfortable. It gets kind of itchy to me and like stuck, the cloth gets stuck to my butt. I hate that feeling. I'd rather stand. I'd rather walk. I don't like standing still either. <laughs> so would you rather have your legs stuck to like sweaty car seat leather kind of thing? Yeah. Peel it off or cold? Rather be too hot than too cold. Okay. I feel yeah. that way in yeah. general. Yeah. I don't know where I stand on this. Because the, there is a pain There is a pain to the peeling and mm-hmm. it can make a sound. It could be like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I'd rather have that kind of hot sticky pain than the like cold numb dull yeah. just like teeth grinding pain yeah i one, agree one time on a road trip my uh, brother fell asleep in the back seat and my other friends as well my dad rolled up all the windows of the van and pumped the heat in the car and we just like me and him in the front we just took it and let ourselves get really hot <laughs> until they woke up We're like why is it so hot in this car <laughs> in the middle of the summer <laughs> It was pretty funny. Crazy. I was going to interrupt you one sentence into that story and be like, so should we get to the question? <laughs> you should have. I, I was going to, but then you just kept rolling so quickly. I was like, eh, you know what? I'm not confident. It's that funny of an idea anyway. So I just let so it happen. So if I slip up and le- leave a little window, an extra long comma. Or I'm coming for you. All right. Noted. No, you can't have dead air. You can't oh have my dead God. air radio. That's the cardinal sin of radio. <laughs> right? Well, then you have to have a funeral for it. And it just takes a lot of time. Yeah. Do the air funeral. <laughs> May he blow no longer. Hmm. Maybe I'll just get an urn. Yeah. Instead of burying it. Can you scatter the air? Or is it already already happening? Yeah. Don't you ever see people on their birthday in front of their cake? That's what they're doing. 
Totally. That's what that is. Birthday, funeral for dead air. Yeah. That's why you blow out candles. Or is it like giving it a new life? No. How? Explain that to me. I have no idea. Repurposing it. Repurposing what was dead air for the action of blowing out candles candles. is weird. I've never thought about this until just now. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it later. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're talking about it now. No, dog, you're that for a half to. But what is the. What? But what? Blow out a candle. That's just like. Right? Where there was light, I will make there be darkness. (laughs) It's my birthday. (laughs) Well, and like, who is it for? Because the person doing it always feels a lot of pressure to like get them all out in one blow or like. It's not that satisfying you know? to me. It's right? not like someone no. built a Lego a block fortress and I get to knock it over. That'd be a great birthday thing. It's like, hey, right. we built this house of cards. You get to smash it and then you come in and yeah. fuck shit up. But with a flame that they lit and then you're spitting all over the food. That's what I'd be nervous about. Yeah. And little kids are just like. <laughs> and there's just spit flying everywhere. Yeah. And ev- all the adults are just like. Identifying the pieces they don't want of it's the cake. Just, right. It's probably all too sweet. Kids' cake. Kids' tastes are just, they're childish by definition. But they have like, I think kids have under uh, sensitive sweet receptors and oversensitive bitter receptors. So kids mm. are like, ew, this coffee's gross because they're tasting all the bitter really intense. But then candy, they're not like, oh, this is gross, this is too sweet because they're, yeah. they're dull, insensitive sweet receptors are those of a child. Wow. Is that scientifically accurate? Yeah, I definitely didn't just make it up. Okay. I, I don't know if my source is correct. Well, you, you didn't give a source. But another person <laughs> another person communicated this idea to oh, me okay. via the internet, unless it was some type oh. of AI that created this article to be interesting. <laughs> it's possible now. You what know, if did that's a human happening? write this? I'm sure it's happening. What, AI, computer generated like articles? That's, yeah. oh yeah, there's sites full of those. Yeah. That's sad. Is it? It's just a. I I, I feel a little sad in t- response to that information. Mm. I'm fine with it. I mean, because so many people want to be writers and to be like, we're we're outsourcing this task that has creative potential and value to a robot that can just go. You want to see clickbait? Here's some clickbait. Yeah. I don't I- know. I think it's not the type of writing that most people want to do that we're outsourcing to computers generally. Well, what about like, I mean, what about the fact that, you know, the the occupation of like truck driving is going to disappear in the next whatever 20 years when self-driving cars are a mainstream thing? I mean, does, does that give you any sadness or do you think like, oh, no one wants to be a truck driver anyway? Mm. Not that they're exactly the same, but. Well, that gives me some sadness. Yeah. But I also think like, yeah, those people can do something that they might enjoy more. I don't think that that's a good life being a truck driver from, I I know it's good money, but I think that the sacrifices are super high for that. Probably. Um, Yeah. And if it's saving lives, I mean, any kind, any kind of innovation like this, that's disruptive. People find other work. Yeah. Eventually we get to a point where everybody's just pursuing like philosophy and art, right? (laughs) Isn't that what this leads to? If all the lawyers and all the doctors are, you can do it better with a machine. Right. And uh, then we're kind of just like talking to each other and listening and getting better at communicating. Everyone has a podcast, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Like we're kind of the future. We're we're pioneers in a sense. 
by getting on this early wave. I mean, I know a lot of other people got We're podcasts, not really early on the wave. I have news for you. <laughs> yeah, we're early percentage of the population. Most people don't yet have a podcast. It's like what? Fair. Fair. 20% of people have podcasts. Also, we're seeing a higher <laughs> slice of percentage because we live in LA. way too high. <laughs> it might be 20 in LA. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Maybe 20% have been on a podcast, but have their own that's made it eight episodes, that's penetrated <laughs> Latvia. No. <laughs> that's unique to us. That's that free advice, Dick. Let me, yeah, let me tell you some stats about free advices, Dick. Yeah, fuck yeah. It's been to Portugal. Eight inches long. <laughs> Eight and a half inches around. <laughs> we got New Zealand. We got more downloads in New Zealand than episodes that we put out. So some we've got really? multiple listeners in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. Uh, hey, thanks like guys. Thanks, the- Scott. Thanks, New Zealanders. <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. Most people New Zealand, just do so. British for anything that's not America. <laughs> So, yeah, one of those British people. <laughs> or just like mildly ethnic in mm. an indiscriminate kind of way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's get to the question right away. Like we said, we would. <laughs> none of this bullshit up top. <laughs> Wait, did we really fully solve the mythology, the mythos of the ethos of the birthday cake blowing out or the disappearance of jobs? I wanted to say something else about the disappearance right, of jobs. Go ahead. And just the concept of obsolete <laughs> in general, like yeah. makes me really sad. Yeah. I remember visiting my grandmother at one point, like years ago, and she was like, Looking for a, this is making me really sad right now as I'm retelling this. Um, I'm so sorry. It's like it's like the colonial Williamsburg incident all over again, yeah. oh, where no. it's just I'm experiencing it as oh, sad God. and no one else is. <laughs> anyway, um, oh fuck. My grandmother was like, "Oh, I'm gonna like I need to like look up a phone number," and yeah. she like got out her you know yellow phone book and was like looking in the phone book for it, and I was just looking at her watching her do this and being like, oh my God, like you and the phone book are both like technologies that are like about to be obsolete. Mm-hmm. And that just like crushed me. I mean, I'm someone who frequently is processing our mortality. Like I'm thinking about that all the time. So it's not like a, th- a theme that's like out of the norm for something I would think, but it just made me like really sad to see her using this like technology that most people just don't use anymore mm-hmm. there's something about like just stacks and stacks of like phone books and like businesses going out of business and then of course there's like the my grandmother dying like that's you know obviously a part of this but yeah there's something for me about things falling into obsolescence is that the right noun yeah that um just makes me sad well for things to get better and for us to believe that they're getting better that means the old things have to be worse yeah, that's, that's, that's the cost of it, right? <laughs> if you're making working yeah. towards a better tomorrow, that means that yesterday was obsolete or it's about to be. Yeah. There are trade-offs, though. You know, people are always romanticizing the feel of paper, the smell of the pages when you get a real yeah. book in your hands. I always smell books. Yeah. I think people overdo that a little bit, but there's there's something nice about a book. It's just yeah. I'm also okay with reading a story on it. A Kindle. Yeah. Not on a screen of a phone or a laptop. That's not the same to me. That That's really a decreased experience, but. Yeah. Okay. I agree. I also have, have we, a Kindle. Yes. Good. They will be our sponsor. <laughs> that will work for us. <laughs> now. All right. Let's get to the question. Okay. Sounds good. So this question comes from Crew U, Crew U, C-R-U-I-U on Reddit. 
And Kruyu asks how to handle a victim complex. Hola. Okay, so she, he or she is trying to be a little Spanish, That's trying fine. to be a little spicy. Okay. Maybe they just are. Okay. Yeah, well, there are and trying to be. Because they switch right into English immediately. Be, but are you trying to be American right now? But are you? her whole question would be, I don't know why I keep assuming it's a female. That's really... Well, hola is the feminine. It's not hola. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for helping me You're dance welcome. around that. Um, anyway... Hola. Translation, hello. Mm. Earlier today, I kind of realized that I have a victim complex. Well, Uh actually, I thought I had gotten over it a long time ago, but I never actually did. I always complain about mean people hurting my feelings and treat things like it's never my fault, and I don't know how to stop. So, Rob, what's your hot, fresh take on Kruyu's problem to just get us started? This is a lot to dig into. I think we should talk about what it means for something to be someone's fault. Yeah. That's complicated. Yeah. It's very complicated. Okay. I don't believe in free will. Me too. Let's not dig into it any further because I'm sure everyone will agree with us. No. (laughs) (laughs) Most people hate that. I'm totally kidding. We should definitely talk about it. (laughs) Um, But I think you have to act like it exists. It seems like it exists. Right. So it's one of some things I think are worthwhile to believe even if they're not true. Yeah, I think you have um, to think about both perspectives. Yeah, uh, functional fictions, mm-hmm. we might say. Sure. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. There's going to be things that, uh, bad things that happen that really aren't your fault. And then there are things that you you could express more control over that you, if you get into a routine of saying everything's not your fault, you, you might not start to see the ways that you could change things. Yeah. So um, I think the right thing is is to have a balance of some yeah. things are my fault, some things are not. Mm-hmm. But to generally take – okay, what's the difference between fault and responsibility? Great question. Because I think the answer to this is going to be in taking responsibility for bad things, even if they're not your fault, mm. things that happen to you you still have to fix them or you still have to figure out a way to uh, deal with them, whether it's a fix Mm -hmm. or not, Mm -hmm. whether you should be blamed personally for it. Like it's not somebody's fault if they're born with a disease that makes them take a drug or do some, um, not like a addictive drug. I was going to say your first example, very (laughs) contentious. (laughs) Somebody's born, I don't mean addiction. I mean, somebody's born with, um, I can't even think of an example, but something that requires them to take some medication to treat that condition a daily, you know, like a again, this says, is still have, a very you have a heart condition. Okay. Do you think that that is a person's fault to be born with a heart condition that requires them to take some type of, a, let's say, a blood pressure? No reducer. Okay. No. Um, when is something someone's fault? Well, when you an argument is made for things that blend into the category of mental illness or addiction, like okay. you say. Um, there is a lot of misconception about both of those things um, because we often think, okay, because it's taking place in our minds and it's not a uh, you know a physical thing like a like a you know something you might need a pacemaker for or like your example, heart medication, whatever. Like many people, it's, it's easier for people to universally feel like oh, okay, I have this physical problem. I'm going to take care of it. It's not my fault. Sure. Whereas when it's something that, um, you know, is that we 
would con- would term as sort of a, a mental illness or some kind of um, personality trait, uh, something that's uh, not uh, doesn't have as tangible of an explanation mm-hmm. right now. Um, I think it's easier for people to say, "Well, it's your responsibility to fix this," and well, or, or to to think to take that responsibility on and and think like, "Well, I don't have to take medication for it." It's okay. I think medication's one route for fixing a lot of problems that a person would have mentally um, or physically. If you have a sprained ankle, maybe you have to go on crutches. If you have a sprained self-esteem, <laughs> maybe it's yeah. maybe there's a uh, medicine, some kind of social crutch. Maybe, yeah, maybe there is. I don't know. Yeah. Or you need like exposure to people both accepting and rejecting you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a teacher, a psychology teacher at Duke, who posited that self-esteem is a widely misused phrase in our language and that it's really just a measure of how much acceptance or rejection you're getting at the moment. Mm. Um, And so a healthy self-esteem is one that just accurately notices, am I being accepted by this environment or these people in this social situation or am I being rejected by it? And to always have a high self-esteem is just as broken as always having a low self-esteem that it's like something that should be in flux and just noticing like, oh, I'm at this biker bar right now and I'm wearing, uh, you know, clothing for Easter. And that's a holiday that bikers hate. Like you know, <laughs> Universally. <laughs> All right, I'm coming up with the shit on the fly. Yeah, I know. I love it. Slack. No, I love it. I love it so much. That, uh, that, that, you know, your self-esteem would be functioning properly just to notice that I'm experiencing rejection in this situation. Um. I don't, I accept that that's an interesting way of looking at it. I don't know. I think he's maybe just trying to rebrand problem. the term to like get his book published or something. Maybe, maybe. Because I think that, yes, you can experience self-esteem fluctuations, of yeah. course. Um, but I think the idea is once you have high self-esteem, those acceptances and rejections aren't affecting it. Like you, you have your own sense of, internal worth and value and and understanding that you have the capacity to affect change in the world around Mm you and that that doesn't come or go the goal is for that not to come or go based on external stimuli okay that you've like built up a resistance to any fleeting uh little obstacles yeah it's like having yeah it's like having sort of a a a strong armor to those things and, and being able to protect your core self i would say um, and, and people who have health, self-esteem are, you know, more likely to kind of uh, take risks and, and incur potential mm-hmm. threats to those things. Um, and I think that, like, again, it's like sort of I see someone like def- deflecting um, the haters, you know what I mean? The yes. hater. I couldn't decide if I was going to say the haters or the haters, and then I just said some awkward middle thing that okay. reveals how unconfident I am on that particular topic. That's fine, though. Um, it's not universal. Anyway. It's just on that. It's just on whether I say haters or haters. Yes. Like, am I trying you to probably be cool have the same or am problem I just with white? Player, player. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a couple words like that that I could tomato, see. tomato, mm, tomato. That's, that's kind of a different Tomatoes issue. Tomatoes <laughs> with a Z. <laughs> I don't think you straddle in the same lines with tomato. <laughs> um. Anyway, so uh, all of this to prove that mm-hmm. these questions that we're dealing with are so based on like our subjective appraisal of them and our internal experience, which is very different person to person. Like 
Rob and I are two people that agree on a lot of things and are have a lot of similarities and overlaps in our worldview. Mm. And we're debating what's the definition of self-esteem. Right. And so for crew you to, yeah, let's you know, get, I got, I'm getting way off the track. Yeah. Today. <laughs> My bad, guys. Hey, no, I love it. I think it's important. Okay. We yeah. have vowed for our analyses to be meandering and you, we meander. Did. We, we will did say that. <laughs> okay. For you. Um, um, l- let me start by asking you, are there people yeah. that you've met that are chronically, uh, blaming others and self-victimizing people that are eternal victims that it's like it's a problem in the way of their way of telling their story to themselves and it's not just that oh bad luck does bad luck really exist Mm. that consistently as much as you've observed in some people or do you think that this person's fine and then it's going to be like one of those things they just need to no you don't actually have a problem (laughs) (laughs) you know you do that sometimes and that's that can be helpful to a lot of people because some problems are constructed and we think it's an issue and it's like oh that's that's okay. Yeah. Well, and I think what's so hard about getting this question from a person that we have so little mm. context about easily could fall on either end of this that spectrum. This is a judgment call. Right. Yeah. And so I think that I think it would behoove us to to kind of discuss both sides of the spectrum. Because also we're not really just talking to crew you, right? We're talking to anyone who is exploring the idea of like I love I want to go back to your um, your concept of fault and responsibility. Okay. Um, and I think that overall we'll probably just conclude like, yeah, it's a big, big ass fucking gray area. Um, but <laughs> great fault to me, fault to me has a slightly, a slight tone of something in the past. You're reflecting on something in the past, like, Oh, that thing was my fault. I caused that. Mm-hmm. And of course it has a connotation of it being something negative usually. Okay. Um, and then responsibility to me is like a almost a vow to take care of something in the future. Like you recognize that something that is in your domain of ability to affect it mm-hmm. and 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 going, okay, you know, I'm sort of promising to do my best. Again, responsibility has sort of a positive connotation, I would say. Um and a a an assumption of okay, this falls into the realm of like, you know, things that I can impact again, but within the model of like, you have to buy into free will to some extent in order to feel like you can affect change in your life. Otherwise, you know, globally, you're just throwing your hands up and going, well, it's all going to happen anyway. So I might as well sit back and not accept responsibility. Right. Okay. So is there... Let's start with the positive. Yeah. Is it ever useful to uh, see yourself as a victim? Yes. Yes. Okay. Can you give a clear example? <sighs> okay. So I, yeah. And again, I think we should also go back and at some point define, you know, what is what is the victim complex and what is just, you know, anyway. So um, somebody who is seeing themselves as a victim and across many situations. Right, to the, the point reaction. where it's maladaptive for them. To the yeah. point where they realize... It's causing them problems. Exactly. Even if they don't realize it, they could have it. Right, right, sure. Usually that's the case, I'm going to say. Yeah, right, totally. Because I think that this person is coming to a point of awareness, which yeah. I think is awesome and, and something we want to commend you on. Probably, unless they're making up this issue and they really <laughs> don't have this problem. That's always a possibility, too. Of course. Um, but there's a sense of like willingness to reflect on it and... Yeah. Um, question it and, and curiosity about like, okay, I'm trying on this label and seeing where it fits and where it may not. And, and in doing so realizing, okay, what's the discrepancy between, you know, how I'm 
saying I'm being how I would like to be, how I've acted in the past, mm-hmm. how I want to act in the future. Anyway, so um, I think that victimhood in general um, should be like extracted from this idea of a, of a victim complex and like a pattern. Um, because I think in situation, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, some kind of abuse, uh, sexual abuse, trauma, neglect, all of these things where... Say a baby is born and someone, the doctor cuts off their foot. Sure. Okay. Let's, that's a good, that's a good neutral example. It's unlikely to have example. happened yeah, to sure. either of us. Okay. So they're a victim of medical malpractice in this case. Yeah. And we're making them a baby because that's something we can all recognize as innocent. The baby did nothing to deserve having its foot cut off, but... Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, so if that, if you're the adult now, grown up, and you are wanting to move on and have the best type of life that you can have mm-hmm. under the circumstances of being footless. Um, and fancy free, I assume. And <laughs> for sure. Um, and so I think that it's important to one of the stages um, of, of grief, really. Um, if we're going to Kubler-Ross and, you know, writing about how you have to sort of like process an event, um, the, one of the phases um, and, and tends to be, again, they can happen in any order. It's not linear. Um, but the first quote unquote phase or, or one of the phases is denial. Mm-hmm. And so that's where someone isn't even acknowledging that a thing is happening or has happened. And so in order to move beyond the stage of denial, I think you have to accept that you are the victim of something. You have to understand that it, it doesn't mean, it doesn't come with it that you have to be weak or never move on from it or be in this eternal state of grief or sadness or depression or that it should hold you back. Mm. Um, but Because that's often something emotionally that we associate with victimhood. Um, again, terming things as a victim complex. And I think that the dominant, um, you know, way in American society right now is like, pick yourself up and, you know, do this and don't dwell on being a victim and da 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 da. And I think that that has a use, but I think it allows people to kind of jump on that train before they've really processed and come to understand what happened to them mm-hmm. and recognize that it's not their fault. Yes. I think that that can be helpful to um, not internalize some setbacks and think that it's because of a weakness of your character that you're missing that foot. Right. Um, But you can overdo it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all balance, which probably will be a struggle for you with one foot. (laughs) Yes. Um, But overcome – I mean, part of being a victim too and moving forward from it is – Really coming to terms with, okay, there's this loss. There's this um, thing that happened to me or this thing that I can choose to perceive as an inadequacy or this thing that I can overcome over time with patience and nurturing um, and become stronger in response to it. So in the example with the foot, obviously your first foot, your existing foot is going to get stronger and you're going to have to learn different skills and and postures and ways of being and ways of standing that uh, give you other advantages to compensate for this disadvantage. And so all of us are always kind of balancing our perceived strengths and perceived weaknesses. Um, 
And anyone who's dwelling too much in the reality of either one of those things is imbalanced. But in order to kind of offset the uh, the negative event that has, or, you know, again, I'm just labeling it as negative. Like you might have lost a foot and think this is the best thing that ever happened to me because mm -hmm. it enabled, it got me to where I am now, wherever that is. Mm -hmm. Even if you're still in a negative emotional space and call, considering yourself a victim, um, you, you can choose at any moment to go, okay, how might this be the best thing that's ever fucking happened to me? Um, and how can I start adopting that frame of mind more and more if you're wanting to leave that mental space of, oh, woe is me, um, you know? I think it's, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And the more totally. that, that you believe that bad things are happening to you, the more you will find them mm -hmm. and the more you will seek uh, situations that confirm that belief. Right. Um, so it's a dangerous narrative to start telling yourself because it'll be true in most right. situations. If you're making that argument, you're going to find things and you're probably, have you ever had the experience where um, things are going really bad Mm -hmm. and then it looks like at the last minute they're going to be a little bit better. I don't know, I've had this on like customer service mm -hmm. phone calls and things, and it's been 55 minutes that I've been on hold or something, and I'm like, they better not pick up right now. I want to be able to say <laughs> that it was a full hour that I was on hold. You know, I like Now I'm taking more joy in crafting a narrative about how bad this thing sucked oh. than I am in actually being free of the pain of it. Yeah. Have you ever had that experience? Not really, but not that's exactly fascinating. Being on hold. Not exactly. There's some but that's things that it's like a really shitty day, and then something really good is about to happen right at the end of it. I'm like, oh no, you're ruining my don't ice my, my cake. Streak. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I want it yeah. to be like, I want it to fit into that story that I'm telling myself about. Like, wow, this has been the worst day ever. I can't have a good thing happen yeah. on it. Then I have to explain that caveat. How would that serve you for it to have been all negative? Uh, then you get to complain and people go oh wow that's so bad it's like to impress people it's okay. uh victim olympics <laughs> you know you're competing about like who's had it the roughest yeah right yeah yeah i said i think being aware of that is really fascinating because that is where you that is where the toy the, the toining point mm -hmm. that's where the toining point comes in um is that moment of recognition and so i think that that is what separates someone who is swallowed into a victim complex from someone who is questioning, oh, I'm looking back at this history of behavior and not necessarily yet deciding if it's right or wrong, but just acknowledging that that's something you're perceiving and getting mm -hmm. curious about it. Um, and I think that we have this problem where often we deny, 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 because we're putting off this like inevitable moment of, you know, uh, reality kind of sinking in as if there's some, it would be as if it would have been better if it had happened sooner. It only is going to happen when it's going to happen. And like so many times, I think instead of celebrating the moment of mindfulness that we have, we judge ourselves for not thinking of it sooner or being aware of it sooner, yeah. changing it sooner. Um, and so I, I definitely still want to, again, praise this, um, you know, advice seeker for being willing to go there and, and confront this possible reality and realizing that 
they've been in this reality before, they thought they were out of it, or you know, maybe they made some changes, and now they're going, oh, is it possible that I'm kind of back in that zone more than I'd like to be? Because mm-hmm. um, it illuminates the fact that these aren't black and white hard categories. It's like, okay, I'm seeing a pattern and identifying that that's imbalanced for me. Mm-hmm. And it, everyone's standard isn't going to be the same. And everyone's standard isn't going to create the same set of results. Um, because everything is, all experience is completely relative. Um, but I want to go back to what you were saying in terms of luck. And when we often see these patterns like repeating in our own life. Because before we started the podcast, I was actually talking about like exactly this thing. And and when it comes up in my own life or with a client that I'm uh, you know, working with or a friend or whatever, when they keep reporting the same result to me mm-hmm. over and over, um, or just little kind of things that are seem coincidental but all have the same sort of flavor to them. Um, like I had a client who was saying that um, when we started working together, she was saying that she felt like she was in Groundhog's Day and the same situation would keep arising over and over. Um, and the situation was uh, – she felt like she would tell a guy that she wasn't interested, she's not dating, and then they would pursue her and pursue her and pursue her, and then she would relent and go, okay, fine, fine, I'll date yeah. you. Um, and then they would change their mind or uh, suddenly disappear or you know, then end up rejecting her. And so when a client says to me, like, this is the response I keep getting over and over, I just dropped my phone, um, it, to me it's like, okay, Again, you're not at fault. However, if you're noticing this and it's creating discomfort or the desire to change, then we take we move into okay, how can we find out more then and then take responsibility? No, no. No, no, no. It's okay. not that suddenly you're at fault. It's again, d- depend if you want to take responsibility or not depends on what if it's, it's like a problem a, a for you. STD that you didn't know you had, then you're not at fault for giving it to somebody, but if you do know you have it, then isn't it kind of your fault if you give it to somebody? Once you know, yeah. you decide whether or not you you take responsibility for that. Okay. So like, yes, in that <laughs> example. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we dug in and, yes. and <clears throat> you know, we think we identified sort of, okay, what was she really communicating in that experience that kept being replicated? Um, and... I, so I think that for this person, you know, the, the pattern that they're noticing is that they keep feeling, they notice that they're keep, they keep feeling people are mean to them and they're repeatedly hurt and finding themselves sort of on that side of the coin. And so the question that I would ask myself, um, if I were this advice seeker would be, okay, what do I, how does that experience serve me? Again, just sort of like I just asked you, like what on an unconscious level perhaps are you getting out of that interaction? Why is it that you are wanting on some level or needing on some level to appraise something as mean or to feel that hurt and to, like you said, like want other people to know it and recognize it. it. Unless you direct your anger at the world instead of at yourself. If mm-hmm. you're not the cause of your suffering, but your environment is, right. then I think that you don't 
have that feeling of like violence towards yourself and mm. you're not as upset with yourself. You're upset at the world. That's So you're saying it allows you to protective. avoid. Yeah. It's protective. Sure. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Is that your experience? Uh, when I've strayed in this direction yeah. and felt like yeah. I'm being too much of a victim. Yeah. Hmm. I think so. And um, I think that that can be adaptive behavior for situations where something does happen. Like, okay, um, I had my wallet. It's often not so clear cut as like mm -hmm. a baby. Mm -hmm. So for me, <laughs> I left my car unlocked and mm. someone came into my garage, supposed to be locked, but you know, I still left the car unlocked, okay, stole my wallet. Okay, this is a great example. Yeah, so I have some responsibility of like, I should have locked my car. But somebody shouldn't have stolen my wallet from a right. locked car also. Yeah. Um, and, there, and there was the expectation that the building was safe because the door was closed, so that wasn't locked either. Right, right. Um, but I could have done more to keep mm -hmm. it secure. So is it your fault that your wallet got stolen? Um, a little bit is my answer to that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's useful to have that reaction just enough to where I'm more careful about always locking my car. You can be too careful. Like I've caught myself walking back to my car and repeatedly hitting the lock <laughs> button. And I'm like, okay. Getting into I'm OCD land. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's also possible. Yeah. But um, to the point where you just have it locked every time and aren't spending extra time walking back to it to keep checking on it, um, that I feel that it was my fault that much to where this sticks with me. Yeah. So what would happen if, let's say, a few months from now, yeah. you think that you locked your car because you now always do, yeah. and for some reason you didn't. The signal, you, you tried to click it, but the signal didn't go through. You didn't check. You just didn't, you thought you pushed it. You didn't push it. The battery in your clicker died, whatever. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, doesn't matter. It lets out a little beep. So it I doesn't, think I get some feedback, thankfully. Right. So let's say you didn't realize you didn't get that feedback. Okay. Um, or it was a creative burglar who was imitating that sound <laughs> when they saw my hand push on the key. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Now I can break in. <laughs> I really workshopped that sound. <laughs> um, and took the batteries out of my key. So the next time that happens, and, and let's say your wallet gets stolen, what, do you feel like it's your fault? Are you beating yourself up? Or are you readjusting now? Okay, now how do I yeah, make me sure twice, my shame checking on me. behavior? It, the more that it okay. happens to me, the more fault it is mine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then it makes you re- evaluate your whole strategy of rebalancing after checking too much to checking not enough. And then what do you do? Then you overcheck for the next couple months. Um, yeah, probably uh, yeah. you overcheck just because the wound is fresh. Yeah. So you're like still a little bit uneasy in those moments when you're leaving the car, but yeah, I, um, I mean, I do think that re like uh, accepting fault for something or taking responsibility, whichever sort of side of that we're on, mm -hmm. um, in this scenario, uh, it allows you to feel like the situation is under your control, right? Yeah. And allows you to go, okay, so next time I'm going to make sure I lock the door. Um, because there was a, even though there were other ruptures 
that shouldn't have happened. Like the door should have been locked, the garage door should have been locked, and no one should have stolen your wallet anyway. Um, I can I need to control better what I can control, right? So that leads you to that conclusion, and then you feel some sense of that you've processed it or or some sense of relief. Um, or it softens the wound in some way, feeling like you can take a productive action. Um, but from a vaguer sort of like psychological standpoint, I would always ask the question also like, what is the, is there an avoidance of the reality that although it's preferable and more comfortable for us to create a narrative where we are the author um, and, and, and making it seem like, making our world seem less chaotic and unpredictable by saying, okay, I'm assigning myself this blame because I could have done this and then that wouldn't have happened and, da, 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 and so next time I'll whatever and then you could feel better about it rather than sitting with the wild uncertainties of life and that, no, you can't control the fact that some jackass, you know, came in and stole your wallet. Yeah, it's it's you got to do both simultaneously. You, you can uh, you can aim direct the sails, but you can't control the wind. Right? That's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if the wind doesn't blow. Yeah. It doesn't matter how your sails are pointed. But when the wind is blowing, you want to be pointed at the direction that you want to be going. Interesting that we're back to air and blowing. Mm. Um, yeah. Maybe that's yeah. why we do that candle ritual for the next year. You control, <laughs> like, which side of the cake do you want to blow from? Um, anyway, all of that is to point out that, or really underscore, again, just how much we create our own realities. And whether you look at it um, in a, like, subjective or objective way or, like, a ref reflexive or, like, causal kind of way um you know our how we feel and how we assess things to be um you know is very dependent on what we tell ourselves every day mm -hmm. and so there are different points where you can interrupt that like you can decide that you're in the chain of events that crew you was talking about where they feel like overly slighted by other people instead of like uh maybe the alternative of that would be to um, what would the alternative be? Um, that people just love them for no reason and that they get lucky breaks all the time. You mean yeah. other people? Yeah. Okay. You're talking about what's the opposite of. I was thinking what's the opposite of like mean people hurting them with some kind of intent to harm them. Am I getting lost in this question? Um, I'm gonna pick my phone up and read it again. <laughs> okay, I I'll, I'll cover the dead air while you're down there. <laughs> Thank God, <laughs> I'm done already. Uh, so. Okay, but please cover the dead air. I don't have anything. Da 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 da. da, da. That's <laughs> what elevators advice. do. <laughs> how about our theme song, right, guys? Woo. Oh, okay. I yeah. don't know how. Or I always complain about mean people hurting my feelings and treat things like it's never my fault, and I don't know how to stop. Okay. Okay, so how to stop treating things like it's never your fault? Mean people hurting my feelings. Yeah, that's one we've we've had this conversation before about taking responsibility for your mm -hmm. feelings and the difficulty of that when it does feel like other people's fault. Yeah, that 
somebody did something that you feel pain over, but you are responsible for the feeling. Mm-hmm. Your romantic partner is not responsible for your feelings. Yeah. Um, there's also the concept of the uh, when when something happens to you, mm-hmm. you're not responsible for like the first thought or first emotion, but you are responsible for the second. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that you're entitled to feel however you want to feel about it because you can't control that. Yeah. Like if someone insults you, that's not going to feel good. But – <laughs> yeah, give it to me bad. There's, I wanted to hurt. There's a subreddit called Roast Me where people post their pictures and then, oh. you know, or Comedy Central roasts. Sure. People go on that willingly. That's true, but there's also the there's also a form of one. flattery and just people giving attention to you in yes. some way. Yes. Um, anyway, um, so, <coughs> oh, I was about to be like, bless you, but that's the wrong body function. Um, Coughs and sneezes are always doing that. Yeah, yeah. How do you tell them apart? <laughs> um, spot the difference. Uh, so if someone insults you, you're going to have that emotional response of feeling hurt. Right. Mm -hmm. But I guess the choice that crew you is, is making, um, that is under their control is they're complaining about it, um, to other people, presumably to get signed, like, like you do when you wanted your whole day to be bad. It's like when you complain about, well, my life is so rough, isn't it? And getting people to validate that, um, that offers you something. Mm -hmm. And it can incentivize you to continue to do the behavior. You got a good story when that's happening. Right, yeah. right. And so when you're continually trying to uh, evoke that sense of other people giving you attention or empathy or um, feeling your justified indignation about it, it's important to realize, like, I think in order to stop doing it, you have to recognize that those are the benefits that you're getting from doing that, from those complaints. Instead of going, okay, this person hurt me, and I'm going to think about, okay, what does that mean for me? How would I prefer to feel? And how can I um, sort of change emotional gears by thinking about a time when someone complimented me? Yeah. Um, Or... Having a, you know, having some kind of seed of a positive feeling about yourself within your own self-concept that you can draw upon when you're feeling hurt and using that as your source of validation instead of kind of carrying forth that negativity through a complaint and then evoking it from someone else. Yes. Um, What I'm hearing from this is that uh, it'd be helpful to uh, counterbalance these things with moments of gratitude and try to focus on like give yourself a challenge to think of situations where somebody was nice to you and write those down or make yourself just a daily list uh, maybe paired with a meal right before eating it's a good time that people like to have a gratitude ritual even if you're not a religious person you're not thanking god for it it can be a uh, a nice thing to do right before you eat to think about all of the ways that people have made you happy um and I want to bring up two psychological concepts as well that I think will help them, which are loss aversion and the negativity bias. These are well documented that it hurts more to lose $10 than it does feel good to find $10. Mm. Like if you if you lose $10 one day and find $10 another day, your overall experience is negative, not neutral. Mm-hmm. Um and we have a 
higher propensity to remember negative events than positive or neutral events as well. And part of that's because pain is perhaps uh, evolutionarily adaptive to uh, direct behavior away from those situations that cause us pain. Problem is some things that we have to do and some things that are good for us have short-term pain. And uh, Like cold showers. Like cold showers. <laughs> yeah, well, if you tell yourself that that's not pain, it's just stimulation, <laughs> Yeah. then it's not, you know, you can redefine things in your head. So yeah. people being mean, maybe it would be useful to come up with different words about like, see it from the perspective of, oh, that was a person setting an example of how to stand up for themselves or how to confront a situation that they were unhappy with. Like, what if it was more than just mean in every situation and you got to see more nuance by having some other terms? I realize like somebody calling you um, a dickwad or whatever they said that's mean, that's not gonna be your first thought, but maybe it's your second or third thought in reflecting on these moments. And I think, again, like you can kind of continue that reversal of like, if someone is going out of their way to insult you, they want you to feel bad. And often when we want someone else to feel bad, it's because we're feeling yeah. bad. And so, you that know. That expression, find the pin. Mm. If somebody's angry, look for like the pin in their shoe that's poking them. There's something that they're mm. hurting over. Right, right. And so at that, allowing yourself to see it that way can can give you a sense of empathy for that person. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of a feeling of like, I'm so victimized by this and, and, and maybe, maybe negate the need for you to get validation later through complaining about it. Um, because I think the more that you continue to perpetuate that negative energy through like complaining about it or, um, you know, reminding yourself over and over without, without kind of doing an emotional shift like we're talking about, that's... That's keeping yourself in that low moment. That's picking at the scab. It's causing a scar. But it can be really hard. I do want to validate too that it's really hard sometimes to tell the difference between when am I moving through something and releasing it in a healing way and and reaching the end of a tunnel versus when am I just relentlessly picking at the scab and hoping for a different result. Mm -hmm. That can be really hard to tell the difference. Um, And one practice I recommend for that is um, feeling into the energy of two different, uh, those different things. So like if you are, uh, you know, working through an experience of someone having insulted you um, and the voice sounds harsh and critical and biting and it gives you like a sort of sour feeling in your stomach or some other like negative experience in your body, Often you can know that that's, um, you know, sort of that that negative self-talk. It's coming from that sort of self-destructive place of wanting to keep you in that, like, bitterness mm-hmm. versus um, if you're really kind of – you're approaching it with a more neutral tone and you're going, you know, this really hurt me. And, and you're doing an honest, like, emotional assessment of it um, and – you know, you're not, there isn't a negative sensation accumulating anywhere in your body, but it's actually calming you down. It's, it's bringing you to a a baseline, um, and allowing you to move through it. And so being able to differentiate what those two different voices, sort of the angel versus the devil, let's say internally can be really important to then call upon your inner guidance during a situation where it's kind of confusing, where you're like, okay, should I keep going down this path? Is this helping me or is it hurting me to continue to kind of, uh, you know, 
crack the whip. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Is it the angel or the demon inside? And yeah. Noticing the difference between the feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And they can be really subtle differences. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to You'll be. You get it wrong sometimes too. You will. You Because yeah. they get really effective as like, the, the devil gets really de- yeah. effective at impersonating the angel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and making you th- and in some cases the the arguments sound the same, but it's like it really depends on what the context is. Um like I'll I'll use this example. Um I think I've brought up before, like if you're trying to take care of yourself better, you're trying to implement more self-care into your routine. Um but you know that you're someone who uh a self-destructive behavior is like spending a lot of money and you hear that voice inside that's like oh you deserve to take care of yourself treat yourself mm. to some fancy make sure it's real fucking fancy and then you know that later that's going to feel really shitty but it's coming from quote unquote a good place it's trying to get you to take care of yourself right so that can be really confusing versus um okay so i'm needing self-care i know that i'm someone who um, feels guilty about spending money. Okay, so I'm trying to take care of myself, and I know it would feel good to run out to the store and get a new shirt, try some things on, um, get my nails done. Like I know that that would feel good, but if I'm really trying to take care of myself, and I know that that evokes um, feelings of guilt or shame or regret, I wonder what a way I can treat myself is that that doesn't have a financial repercussion. Right. Um, and and. Walking that line between listening to both of those voices can be very confusing. Yes. I think uh, self-compassion needs mindfulness to work properly or else you can Mm. just give in to, oh, well, I'm just being kind to myself. I'm just being compassionate to myself. (laughs) You also need the mindfulness to recognize where those desires are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that sometimes they can be you know, two different voices pointing mm-hmm. at the same thing. And sometimes something is the right action to take and other times it's not. Yeah. Um, or it's a mixed bag. There's totally. there's a pro and a con. There's, yeah. there's a cost that you might not see right away, but there's also a benefit. And so recognizing mm-hmm. too that there, yeah, you're going to make mistakes. Like in trying to eliminate this behavior of um, latching on to the negative things that you're, you're catching from other people yeah. and stewing in that victim place, you're going to make mistakes. It's mm-hmm. not going to be all or nothing. Oh, suddenly I'm really able to shove this off. I'm not going to need that validation from other people. Um, that's just, that's not going to be a helpful outlook because it's going to pin you to a standard that's just impossible to meet. Um, so, you know, having a sense of forgiveness for when you make a mistake is important. Mm-hmm. But again, you will know for yourself it, where where is that line between being Forgiving myself and um, letting myself steep in that that's that oh poor me mm-hmm. place for too long, and you'll get better and better because you'll you'll go too far, not far enough, and just kind of go back and forth like a pendulum until you find that right middle point for you. And it may change again based on your circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you improve at calling yourself out and change your behaviors there might be other shifts that happen that you know force you to again recalibrate it's it's a lifelong practice man all of these things any kind of like thing that's so intimately tied in especially like an identity way like you're going i have a victim complex like that's that's something that's really you've tied that in to your identity now and there's there's like an ego investment in you know this or that or the other and it's really hard to extract those things. It takes, it takes a lot of 
discipline and, and noticing it when it happens, mm-hmm. being honest with yourself, not being in denial, giving yourself the permission to try it and feel it out, not being too, too harsh or punishing because otherwise you'll never try to do that practice again. Um, and celebrating the positive results. You, the yeah. way you counter the negativity bias is by overdoing the What positive. are three good things that happened today and one bad thing? Sure. If you ask yourself instead of three good and three bad. Sure. Um, or one and one. Yeah. Or any other balance number. Um, a practice that I learned from, mm-hmm. uh, I believe his name was Dr. Rick Hansen. He's a psychologist and he talks about this a lot. He's fucking awesome. Um, he's saying that if, if there's a behavior that you want to motivate yourself to do more often, for example, like going to the gym, um, while you're thinking about going to the gym, flood yourself with dopamine basically by reminding yourself, jerking off now. <laughs> Rob just did a little hand gesture. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that could be one way um, of creating an interesting association there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. Okay. Anyway, get yourself clean. You can have a good meal. You can do whatever you feel. Anyway, it's fun um, to stay at though. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you sure it's not definitive? Yep. Okay. Um, so give yourself the re- the positive reinforcement of, oh, this is going to be such a great experience. Think about, or estimate already that it's going to feel good that you're going to the gym. Flood yourself with those positive associations. Get hype. Get fucking hype. While you're putting on your sneakers, put on a song you like. Enjoy that process. Then when you get to the gym, appreciate how it feels to be doing the thing that you know, makes you feel good and makes you feel fit and mm. strong. Um, you know, maybe you're running on the treadmill, breathe and feel into that process, feel how good it feels to have blood pumping around your body at that accelerated rate, sort of get a little self-congratulatory about the fact that you went and overcame that, when how you're great it the was. Gym, hurt yourself. <laughs> Punch, hold your breath. <laughs> so the opposite of that, um, again, be like, wow, that was so great. you're not at the great. gym anymore. No, you want to be like, oh, this is terrible. What am I doing not being at the gym? You basically want to sandwich the entire experience mm. from before you do it, while you're doing when, it, and when after do I hurt you myself? do it. N- never. <laughs> Ideally, you don't. What? Um, Just let the world hurt me then? <laughs> Isn't the gym kind of like controlled hurting myself so that I'm stronger for when the world decides to do it? I mean, if you want to stay in a victim complex forever, sure. I think that's one way of looking at training, though, is like it's an amount of struggle that I find appropriate for me that uh, so that I can handle more and more progressively rather than going from zero to 100. Sure. You know, I think that's what working out is. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm glad that you busted into my helpful technique and made it so fucking complicated and confusing that no one's going (laughs) to be able to remember what they're supposed to and not supposed to do. But anyway. In order to counteract the negativity bias. The children that listen to our podcast are smart kids. (laughs) Those 13 and 14-year-olds really know their shit. (laughs) Tell your mom and dad about free advice. Yeah. Um, Do you think there's anything else that we want to talk about here? On this topic? uh, Yeah, you're doing a great job. (laughs) No, it's good that you noticed... Uh, no, no, not you, Morgan. I'm talking to QQ. <laughs> oh, crew you? Crew you, oh, yes. I wanted to Sorry. feel like I was doing a good job. Oh, no, I guess are. I needed to feel validated in that moment. Did you? I'll give you a hug after. No, I mean, I felt okay. shamed immediately because I felt stupid for confusing oh. the you pronoun, but, oh, you know, it's God. okay. I'll survive. 
I have that, I have a little bit, of, a little well of internal validation that I can tell myself that, you know, it's okay. And probably there was some, some positive that I got out of making that mistake. And maybe someone else won't feel as bashful about making that same kind of mistake where you assume someone's talking to you and they're not. And then it's mm-hmm. fucking embarrassing as shit. Don't worry, I'm not stewing in it. Rob's <laughs> w- waving at a person that doesn't exist behind me to get me to turn around, but I know that it's just my bulletin board back there. Actually, I was waving at you. Oh, well, you were looking at my bulletin board. It's so very confusing. <laughs> I know, I did that shit on purpose. <laughs> Show you, you. You did? You can fuck up either way. <laughs> Life is just a series of fuck ups. I'm trying to get you back in balance. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. You're welcome. Anyway, what were you going to say to crew you? Um, nothing. I have nothing more. Thank you for writing us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, on a related topic, talking yeah. about these kids, um, you heard the SAT has added an adversity score that they're going to submit to colleges based what? on 15 factors. Uh, so that like when you send in your SATs, there will be a thing that the college can look at of like how much adversity has this person faced in their life. To try to offset any kind of uh, bias that the SAT has for... um, Privilege. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. What do you think of that? I think it's going to be such a treacherous thing to calculate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's good that we acknowledge as a society that people start in different places. Mm Um. It's just, it's complicated. It's really tricky, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when did this start? Today, I, was, I saw the Do you think it, it has anything, any relationship with the um, the scandal of people being, bribing? Yeah. yeah. I would guess. I hadn't made that connection before, but she's talking about the uh, Lori Laughlin USC. Yeah, and Felicity Hoff. Felicity, Felicity Hoff. Lori Loeffler. I don't know. Floogie Gaga. Floogie Duda. Floogie Gaga. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie Prickner. <laughs> all those white ladies. All those rich white ladies. So that what happened bribed was. people to get it. Their kids yeah, into college. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> probably that it's related. It's like, yeah. oh, so now that everyone knows that that was going on, we should give people a formal boost. Mm-hmm. Or some type of quantifiable boost, like affirmative Something. action part two. Yeah, kind of. But I think it's not. It's the not remix. just focused on race. It's right, 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 right. Economics, no, I'm sure. Of course. Learning disabilities probably count against it. So I bet that there's like going to be a know rich the scoring rubric. I know, right? This is something that we should analyze on the next episode of our podcast. Let's get a hold of it and we'll break it down. We'll give our version of what real adversity is. What is adversity like. from yeah. two white people? Okay. This is, I think, something that's interesting, though. Yeah. What does it feel like to be told that you haven't struggled, that you don't have adversity by someone's understanding of, you know, what they can see on paper, like, your, what your parents do for a living or what your color of your skin is, what kind of schools you went to, all of that. I struggle with this all the time. What's a person's reaction? Yeah. People don't like being told that they haven't suffered because everyone knows their own pain and to be told that it's not real or that it's lesser than another person's yeah, yeah. makes people fucking mad. <laughs> well, okay. So I, um, as I've mentioned many times before, um, am someone who suffers from chronic depression and I have a hard time telling if it's my angel or my devil telling me that my depression is uh, manufactured out of the absence of other difficult circumstances. 
that because I had no quote unquote real problems, I, um, well, I'm sad. I made up something about mm-hmm. being sad so people would pay attention to me. Um, I know that that's not the full picture. It's more complicated than that. Um, and it's, and I think it, I think it feeds into like the story that I was kind of told about, like, you know, basically from my parents of, well, you, um, you, you have all these material goods and have had all this opportunity and, you know, we didn't abuse you basically. So, you know, you're not entitled to feeling any type of way. And what that, um, is communicating to me chronically is that my emotions are, um, not valid and, um, not acceptable to them. Um, not legitimate. I have, I haven't suffered enough to be experiencing the feelings I claim to be experiencing, yeah. right? Um, but that is a real sort of thorn in my side because it makes me go back and forth about, you know, have I basically, I mean, I, I be, in response to the privilege that I've experienced, I've definitely um, piled on the guilt on myself to, to, and again, it's like, am I make, creating my own suffering by, by doing that? And I mean, yes, to some extent, of course. Um, and so then it's like, where the fuck do you go from there? Mm -hmm. It makes it, it, the problem is that it makes it a lot harder to feel good about yourself, sort of pick yourself up or support yourself and nurture yourself the way that you need to be to truly be your best self. Um, and the extent to which that, um, that thought of someone else, saying I haven't actually suffered enough, um, that actually does hold me back from claim, reclaiming the, the joy that I, you know, want to be able to experience and would improve my life. And like, for me, I'm a coach. I could help more people if I felt, um, you know, the, the stronger that I get and the better I take care of myself, the more mm-hmm. I can do for other people. Um, and again, it is all subjective. So even if there is the adversity scale, for example, it's like attempting to quantify something that just is really fucking hard to quantify because some some people, you know, it also, it's like, okay, so are we going to look at people's genetics? Because some people have genes that predispose them to, you know, certain afflictions like depression or whatever, and they or get- just a more negative affect in general. Right. And so thing. they either get turned on by the circumstances of your mm-hmm. environment um, or they don't. I mean, and that's the that's the new conception of how nature versus nurture mm-hmm. works. It's not like fifty percent this, fifty percent sure. that. It's like epigenetics, right? It's right. it's the thing that exists in your DNA, and it's either turned on by your environment or it's not. Yeah. Um. And so, to what extent is that going to be factored into your adversity scale? Right. Because some people go through a tremendous amount of adversity and really are not rocked that much by it. Other people go through things that are comparatively smaller and suffer a great deal so where do we draw that line who who do we say we value your pain more we see your pain more deeply i think it's a dangerous position to take to um like hinge your identity on your pain or or on the story that you have suffered and that that is is very important to you and that it if it's threatening to you for someone to take that away it's just, it's a tough position to be in because people are going to yes. do that. And um, Jordan Peterson says that people find meaning from their pain. And so right. I think it's like uh, someone 
arguing that oh you've never had pain that's like your life is meaningless mm. Mm. yeah maybe there's a connection there um well i know i mean again to go back to myself because yeah. i'm the only subject that i can study as intimately which as is, I can with is myself. true of everybody that we only exactly. know our own pain exactly. really like some people are very empathetic but mm-hmm. um so for me the more that i've allowed myself to feel the pain that I have experienced and and allowed myself to buy into, quote unquote, the idea that it is real pain and I have really suffered as a result of X, Y, or Z, um, I've been able to release those emotions and move through some of them. And uh, not all of them. I'm still, you know, working through a lot. But um, the extent to which I've allowed myself to buy into it enough to give myself the chance to release it and heal Mm -hmm. some of that, the more that I've actually chipped away at the extent of my depression. Um, And then once that Sorry, can you repeat that? What are you chipping away at? um, The the more that I allow myself to feel the sadness and the pain that that has been unacknowledged for a long time, or I've been encouraged not to acknowledge or, you know, to deny that I'm not entitled to it, this, that, and the other, the more that I say, okay, I'm going to put that, criticism over here and just say, okay, maybe it's true, but I'm just going to put it over here for a second and allow myself to do this experiment of feeling my own negative emotions and trusting that they will release them. I will be able to release them out of me if I patiently let myself feel them um, and meet them with an attitude of non-judgment. I have actually been able to chip away at my depression and anxiety and the extent to which I feel that on a day-to-day basis by going through that process. Mm -hmm. So that tells me that regardless of that valuation, it's working and it's working for me. Um, However, as I've chipped away at the fog of the depression, or at least the way that it's manifesting right now for me, um, it has caused me to confront this question again from the side of sort of the, not the devil, but the angel rather of, doing exactly what you're saying, which is um, wondering to what extent am I staying in my comfort zone by continually returning to depression or anxiety? Mm -hmm. To what extent have I made it my identity to be these things? Am I holding on to it? Because without those things, what pain will I have to show why I did this or why I did that? Um, And that somehow it's this... um, validation that I really have worked hard or earned this or suffered through this. It entitles, as if it entitles me to some other reality that without that sadness couldn't exist. Um, But that idea, when I was very much in the trenches of it, I couldn't see that for my life. Like it it Mm -hmm. felt like the energy of it was, again, that you're not allowed to experience pain in validation stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recognizing that as I'm actually making shifts in terms of moving the needle emotionally for me and making my life better, and then I'm I'm really able to confront that decision and to what extent is this my fault or my responsibility in a different way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's something that I've been toying with much more lately than not and it, but it's already had profound um impacts on you know just i'm i'm just not as bombarded by negative anxious depressed thoughts because i'm giving myself a container in which to 
release them and allow them to express themselves and, and not sticking to that narrative. I better deny it. Right. I'm just being a victim. I'm just being a hypochondriac. I'm just being a this, that, and the other. Right. So I don't know if it answers the question, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's a, it's a comfort zone to feel like to hold something that feels like your identity when you don't have something else, but then you may move into a place later where you realize I don't want this. I genuinely don't want this to be my identity mm. anymore. And I, I wish to release myself from that attachment. Right. Or I think the best thing to do is uh, just find other things that y you can still believe that you have depression, had depression or suffer mm -hmm. from it and mm -hmm. then find other things that are like a more important part to you of your mm -hmm. identity. Absolutely. And that's like, you know, I'm a person who happens to have that as well. It's like being left-handed. <laughs> not something that most people who have that condition, you know, they still ha are just as left-handed as before. But Right. And you know. can feel like a victim for it because yeah. the world is not built for them as right. much as it is for right-handed people. Right. So that's actually a great example. Thank you. Yeah. My brain does all kinds of calculations, I'm sure, in yeah. my subconscious. Yeah. Well, because and it's, it's something that you can – process how you feel about it and, and really, again, let yourself feel what are the negative consequences, but then go, okay, how do I translate this into a strength or something that's unique about me? I don't know that left-handed people are that good at that kind of analysis. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're talking about lefties we're here. We're talking about lefties. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't want to be yeah. at all racist about it's this. It's okay. But... Both my parents are left-handed and I'm okay. right-handed. <laughs> Whoa. Whew, that explains some things. Um, no. Okay. Don't we know that uh -huh. uh, the cross hemisphere right. mm -hmm. function? So if someone has a dominant right hand, they're more left -brained. left brain active. There's so many artists that are left-handed, yeah. right? The disproportionate number. I think yeah. that's been proven time and time again by <laughs> every study in the science books. So if you got um, a higher right brain function, that's like you're less analytical. You're more kind of feely, nonverbal side of things, right? Sure. Your intuitive side. Sure. So uh, if you're a left-handed person, you're probably not doing like a thorough analysis of. <laughs> you're probably a dum dum, is what yeah. Rob's saying. <laughs> no, An just, unscientific dum dum. You're more of just like a mute <sighs> dancer who will listen in a conversation <laughs> and then strike a pose. <laughs> expresses how they feel. Now it's up to all you left-handed listeners to decide not to be victims as a result of Rob being mean. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know how it goes. Write to us at Free Advice Podcast. One in 10. What a strange, consistent... One in 10 people are left-handed. Well, you can make anything into a ratio. It doesn't have to be consistent. No, I'm just saying like, <laughs> uh, okay, what are some other um, common human traits, though, that one in 10 people have across like cultures, across... Oh, I see what you're saying. Isn't that Not like just eye a color, thing. because that would not be... Right, right. That wouldn't have a proportion of people it, in it gets different bred race. out. I don't think that left-handedness or handedness in general gets bred out of a population. There aren't like places. I think where it is. It is. Yeah. There are places where well, because it's we used to try to make kids be right-handed because we recognize and that's that, why those and kids some of them stutter. are naturally can be ambidextrous. And those kids are stutterers. <laughs> I saw it in the King's Speech. Haven't I told you this? <laughs> you guys remember a so. Best Picture winner, the King's Speech? God, I thought that was the most boring movie of all time i mean i watched like 10 minutes of it but oh. really boring 10 minutes uh, it was actually i expected it to be boring and i thought it was much more compelling than oh. than my expectations i'll like, have to give it a rewatch camera 
The camera swings like a pendulum through one scene oh, as time yeah. passes. There's just cool like tricks like that. that okay. They, I mean, um, that doesn't sustain like a two-hour film for me, interest level-wise, but, you know, whatever. Okay. There's... <laughs> I'm just being a bitch. Gobbling it up over there. Gobbling, 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 gobbling. <sighs> yeah. If you force a kid who's left-handed to write with their right hand, they often develop a speech impediment. Really? Yeah. Why? Because it's like their, they, their they wires feel get their crossed. realities are denied. They're not. No, it's like not being able to use the hemisphere. Mm. Your brain wants to. I think. I don't know the exact. I mean, science. or is it, it makes it, sense to me intuitively, but yeah. I can't tell you. Like what the mechanism is, but well, I would also again knowing knowing no science yeah. in this department, um, I would also uh, make a connection or posit a, a guess that um, if you know intuitively that you want to write with your left hand and you're being forced to do this other thing that you're left conf- less confident in, mm-hmm. that's you're receiving the message that what you know to be true about yourself is not accurate, and the rest of the world wants you to be a different way. And so that kind of, um, to me, gives the kid a message of like insecurity, mm-hmm. and maybe that manifests in a stutter. That's also where a gay lisp comes from. <laughs> is because you, you have these boys that know that they want boy, and they're like, no, 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 no. you can't use your like your your left handed. No, 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 you're not left handed. You're you're in the girls, and then this slowly their speech breaks down. I I have no ability to comment on that whatsoever. <laughs> Same thing with the lesbian lisp. I'm sure there's <laughs> something like homophobic in there to tease out, but I don't know quite what it is. I just I don't want to be like I just want to have one of those disclaimers where it's like Rob's opinion is not in the affiliated does not yeah. represent my views in this time. Yeah, anything that I say that's mean, I was just joking. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Anything yeah. that I've ever done that could hurt a person or be used so against me later. So what you're saying later. is not your fault. Yeah, I was just joking. <laughs> Don't you guys know about jokes? Don't you idiot left-handers know I'm about jokes? sorry that I wanted there to be a world where there was jokes were allowed. Fine. <laughs> Guessing. <laughs> um, wow. What yeah. a fascinating, delightful roller coaster ride that was. Yeah, I think so. All right, we done? I think we meandered around the topic quite enough. I think we did it. Good night, everyone. That was good. I really, with the, with the good night. Pee, make sure you pee on the fire like, before you go to sleep. <laughs> people are listening to this at all hours of the day. You don't want the fire to attract so many moths that when you wake up in the morning, it's just moths in your breakfast. I assume they're camping. They're out camping listening to this. Why would they be camping on a Wednesday? It's a weird time to camp. You think people only listen to our show on Wednesday? No, but I, but also do it's I think a great like time. Primarily, to camp. Probably. you don't want to go on the weekend if you can save yourself from the traffic and the well, crowds. We're not all LA people that don't have jobs. Yeah, it's probably a lot of our listeners. Yeah, that's true. We know that the concentration of listeners is California, probably. Yeah, there's a couple yeah. industrious Latvians out there putting <laughs> twelve-hour days at the sweatshop. I'm sure. Going, I cannot afford to go camping on the Wednesday. <laughs> that's not, I have no idea what a Latvian accent is. I did so well earlier with the New Zealand accent. Yeah. I got cocky. What's the opposite of redeemed yourself? You've done that. Reduped. You've reduped. <laughs> <laughs>